Throughout these past six weeks, we've been attempting to tune our ears to the words from the cross. Christianity is, after all, a religion built on the word made flesh. And you see, like that still, small voice, Jesus' words to us are often under threat to be drowned out, ignored, dismissed. We let them get caught up in that steady stream of data that distracts our hearts, that floods our heads. When we do hear Jesus, we, we normally appreciate the comfort without paying much attention to the cost. This is what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. We love the idea of Father. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. Until that forgiveness required of us is for those who unthinkingly hurt us. Or maybe they try to hurt us. They threaten us. They sin against us. We don't mind the thought of a thief having a foxhole confession that elicits the, truly today you'll be with me in paradise of Jesus. Until that nagging fear encroaches upon us, that Jesus is standing at the pearly gates with a clicker, and that that guy getting in means we're left out. Where's the justice in that, Jesus? The new family that Jesus forms for Mary and for John and for us, when he looks at Mary and says, Mary, here's your son. John, here is your mother. It's pretty warm and fuzzy. Until you look at who he's calling you to be family to and how much effort and prayer and thought and sacrifice it takes to be family to someone else, anyone else, someone you share DNA with and someone you don't. That God might bail on his son in his darkest moment that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That puts us on our heels a little bit. We either cobble together some kind of half-sensical excuse for God, or else we just forsake God right back. It rarely occurs to us that Jesus is doing something for us that we can't, that we needn't do for ourselves. Something that we'll doubtlessly experience to some degree. That he lives in that moment of forsakenness, of despair. All the while hinting, whispering, glimpsing that future hope, vindication that God will come to his rescue. Jesus' I am thirsty gives us far too human a savior. Dying for us is one thing, but experiencing physical lack just seems too familiar. I'm looking for a savior, and you're thirsty? That Jesus musters an it is finished, that might be our greatest hope yet. It's a, it's a minor keyed mission accomplished in the midst of darkness, dar- darkness and Nakedness, brokenness, abandonment, despair. We love this in our stories, on our TV shows, our movies, when that protagonist shows a glimmer of hope, even when the, the bad guy has his foot on his neck. 
But then it comes down to it, it's hard for us to trust that this is the case in the world, that it is finished for us, for our lives, for ourselves, for our neighbors. We let fear grab a foothold. We forget the peace that Jesus offers and the assurance that he's already overcome the world. We operate out of, out of scarcity, that nagging feeling that we're not going to be enough or we're not going to have enough or that what we have, if we don't fight for it or, or fret over it, it's going to be gone. We're suspicious of each other. We resort to violence of all different types, kind of passive-aggressive violence to suspicion and hostility to indifference and ignorance of our neighbors. All because we lack trust. All because we lack trust, belief, faith. The best we might be able to do on our best day is like that father who came to Jesus asking for him to heal his son, and he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Meanwhile, Jesus cries out from the cross in his finality. That ultimate slogan of trust. (laughs) Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These words just don't appear. They, They flow out of a pattern of living. The culmination of a life well lived. A life lived by faith with God. In his final moment, he cries to the one whose voice thundered, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he offers him back that very spirit who descended upon him like a dove as he entered the Jordan River. We get to see what the faithful one looks like. Isn't that what the centurion recognizes when he sees him? This man was righteous. God in three dimensions, (coughs) flesh and blood, in this case, broken flesh and poured out blood. The son, trusting that the father has the best for him, even on death's doorstep, even as he's being poured out, as we said together in Philippians 2, even to the point of death, death on a cross. When we look up at the cross, When we hear those words from the cross, we're given a new way, a new possibility. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit is in both Jesus' challenge to us and his offer for us. His challenge to us and his offer for us. Jesus challenges us to trust in a God that we cannot see but have seen in him to follow Christ on a journey of faith, even to and and, and through death. He challenges us to have our vision and our imaginations reoriented, transformed, renewed by His Spirit so that we'll be able to see when God's working, when God's working on us, when God's working in us and through us in this world when new creation is actually breaking in upon 
the old creation, the sin-scarred world, be able to see a king that ushers in his kingdom from a throne on a cross. He also offers a challenge. Well, he offers a challenge. He also offers, gives us an offer. This is an offer of that very sort of trust. Faith we couldn't come to on our own. Jesus has it on our behalf and for our sake. He gives us everything we need for entrance into that Father, Son, Spirit life. The only need is our need. He expects nothing less than He makes possible for us. And the cross, rather than a a brutal ending, is a glorious beginning. Think about that. It's it's like a, a chair being pulled back from a table for us to share in that triune God's life. Jesus' trust in his Father with his Spirit is just the most recent in that eternal dance that's been going on, the tr- of a dance of trust, of giving and receiving, the Father sending the Son, and the Son showing off the Father, and the Son and the Spirit breathing life and drawing humanity to the Son, and on and on and on and on. Throughout this Lenten season uh, at Oak Church, and we even, uh, really cool, we got some of you from the Gathering Church to be able to do it on that snow day. We've been coming to this table each week and uh, sharing in this feast of Christ's broken body and his poured out blood. And we've had the chance to leave things behind. How we had the table set up, we had, uh, you know, uh, tokens of, of lint and, and charcoal and, and ashes from Ash Wednesday. And with those writing implements, we, we were able to, to write down some of our greatest fears, some of our, our burdens, things we wanted to submit to the cross and, and take out of circulation in this world, things that hurt us and hurt others. People wrote, and, and it's, it's actually here, and you, and you can see it, people wrote things People wrote, Father, into your hands I commit my... And they wrote these things. Fear and worry, judgment, control, pride. They wrote about that transition they're going through, that belonging they're fearful that will never happen. They committed their self-preservation and their anger, doubt and failure, Anxiety, pettiness, hesitancy, complacency, grief over a father's death, pressure, disappointment, on and on. At the cross, we're both challenged and we're gifted. Challenged to lay down what burdens us, what darn near threatens to choke us out, to drown us. We're challenged to commit that to the Father's hands, to really believe that that can happen. We're challenged by the idea that the cross asked all of us. The message paraphrases Jesus' words and says, Father, I place my life in your hands. That's what we're doing. And we're gifted. We're we're gifted, all right. 
we're gifted with the relief that God is faithful to take all these things. To take our hurt and hand us back healing. To take our fear and hand us back peace. To take our sin and hand us back freedom. He'll take our loneliness and hand us back his very presence. And often people who bear his presence. To take our death and hand us back not just life, but Jesus' life. Eternal, resurrected, abundant, overflowing life that starts now. Because it's passed through the worst and darkest and most lost and can't be lost again. Hands us back a life that we can join in with the Father and the, the Son and the Spirit. And that's our gospel on this Good Friday. That's what makes it good. Amen. If you all will pray with me and then we'll share from this communion table. Father, we thank you for your good news that from the cross, Jesus is not defeated. Jesus is victorious. You confirm that in a couple days when you empty his tomb and raise him to new life. Father, let us join in Christ's sufferings that we may be raised to new life with Christ. Give us trust. Give us faith that we don't even possess. Give us faith that by your Spirit would even surprise us. Father, we thank you for your Son a gift for humankind, for this world. We thank you that you loved us so much that you'd give them to us, for us. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We pray all this in the crucified Christ's name. Amen.